But I had this moment when I, I really paused and questioned, should I be working right now? This seems hard on my kids, hard on me sometimes even. And I just felt this answer from the Lord, like, what you're doing right now is good. And what I loved about the way I felt in that moment was, this is good for now. Mm-hmm. And we're not making forever decisions about your life. We're not, like, I didn't. I don't think I needed to decide right then, am I always going to work or later am I going to stay home? And so I just love that we have access to the Spirit and that as we change and evolve and our life changes and evolves, those answers might change as well. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, and I'm excited to be able to share this episode with you. I want you to know that for those of you that are like, when are we doing some news? Uh, We've got a couple episodes of news, uh, not recorded yet, but scheduled to be recorded. It's coming in the future. It is the holidays, which means it is a busy time of year. I want you to consider gifting the gift of being a Patreon saint uh, for the holidays. Now, we are coming out with a sticker. Yes, it only took us 11 years, and I think it looks pretty cool. Uh, you know, our, our friend Carl, he, he came up with it and it's great and we're going to make it. And guess what? If you are a Patreon saint of the cultural hall, you'll be able to get that sticker and it will be mailed out to you or some version of it. We're working on it still. We haven't quite perfected it. Point is, you can see the iterations that we have created if you are a Patreon saint, and that's the only way to do it. Uh, So make sure you go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall for as little as $5 a month. You can be a Patreon saint. You can gift that. Right now, you're available to do it uh, for the year, so you can save 10% because we know you spend 10% elsewhere. So think about doing that. Patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Enjoy this episode. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and on the onslaught of this, we need to say a special thanks to uh, Kurt Frankham over at Leading Saints. He was the one that coordinated this interview with me and Jody Moore. Also to the kind folks at whatever this building is that we're at, uh, that's courtesy of the th- of the folks over at Thirst. I think it's called the Shop Place. Is that what it is, yeah. Kurt? Yeah. Yes. Yes. There he is. Uh, I, I get a uh, boss, Kurt Frank. I'm like, he's the producer today. So, uh, Jody, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Now, people hear the name Jody Moore and they go, well, wow, look at this. The Cultural Hall had Jody Moore come on. <laughs> Do uh, they? Yeah, I think so. I mean, from Billboard fame to book <laughs> to a podcast, uh, a household name uh, for many. And, and there are some, I, if we're being frank, that'll go, who? I don't know. I don't yeah. know who that is. There are um, a life coach. Yeah, uh, an author, a podcaster. <laughs> it. Let's start there because uh, I know in the early days of life coach, the way that you could become a life coach is if you said, ah, "I'm a life coach," and then that people is, are like, "Cool." That's still the case. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But but that's not the kind of life coach that you are because there are certifications and people come to you wanting to become a life coach and you've started training people. So so what what makes you different than the person who just put it on a business card and now they're a life coach? Well. I mean, the truth is life coaching is not a regulated industry, which is why anybody can just say they're a life coach. I was trained at the life coach school, which I believe is the best coaching school on the planet with the best tools, but I'm also biased. Um, But it's just phenomenal tools that we're taught. Um, I actually don't train coaches. I I do some kind of advanced training, Mm -hmm. but um, everything that I, well, I should say majority of the tools I use were created by Brooke Castillo of the Life Coach School, and she is just a brilliant 
mind and um, an amazing woman. And and I should also add that her work is based in years of study of psychology and self-help and all the great minds. So nobody owns these ideas, but mm-hmm. the way that I utilize them it all comes through the Life Coach School. Uh, I, I don't think that we're going to get into a Life Coaching session, but but We certain, could, though. Oh, well, I could use it. <laughs> Absolutely. It might be don't, fun. Don't look at me like that, Kurt. Uh, <laughs> But but uh, give an idea of, of of kind of what more a life coach is, because I think people do sort of have this base level on it. And you always you always have that one person that is either in your ward or in your yeah. neighborhood who becomes a life coach. And you know that that's what they're doing. But maybe you still don't know yeah. exactly what it is that they do on a day to day. Yeah, you want to avoid them. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, it's like it's like someone who's on keto, right? They let you know that they're doing keto. Right. You sort of understand what they're doing. But you know that if you ask them more questions, that quickly they'll be at your house and want to get you into something. That's right. And the reason that tends to happen, at least in my experience and with the people I know in this world of life coaching is because the tools have been so life-changing to us mm-hmm. that we get really excited about it and we start to want to tell everybody about this transformation that we had. Um, but the type of coaching that I do is focused on um, helping people become more aware of themselves, more aware of your thoughts and how those are creating all your feelings, which is driving who you're being and what you're creating in the world. And that awareness without judgment of yourself, without shame, just a, a real genuine deep awareness of your own impact in your own life and your own experience is um, so mind-blowing that we end up wanting to tell everybody about it. So um, that that's really what my work focuses on. Give me an idea then, because it seems like for someone to get into that, they probably at one point felt like their life needed yes. <laughs> some coaching and some help. So let's dial back what you're 25 years old. So let's go back five years uh, from now. Uh, yeah. When you're, you know, a good young 20 years old. What, mm, what, yeah, what was that life exactly like right. that needed coaching? Um, okay. So for me, when I first discovered coaching, I had been married a couple years and found myself with two kids uh, less than a year and a half apart. Oh, geez. Which was what I always wanted to get married and have kids. And um, here I was with all the things I had dreamed about and hoped for and just so overwhelmed and miserable and feeling guilty that I didn't love my life more and unable to keep up on all of it. And so I was one of those people, and this is kind of a classic situation for life coaching, I would say, who on the outside, nothing seemed wrong. And everyone would say, yeah, of course you feel that way. That's normal. We all feel that way when we have two babies. And, and so nothing was really wrong, but I was kind of stuck in this spin of, um, self-sabotage and self-loathing and then judgment and then yelling at my kids. And I just, it was like nothing was wrong, but also I knew that there was something better available. Mm -hmm. And I happened to learn the tools of coaching through my corporate job where I was a leadership coach. Um, But then of course was able to apply them in my own life. And um, I just felt like, oh my goodness, everyone needs to know this. So the thing with life coaching, at least the way I I utilize it, is anyone with a brain benefits from it. I always compare it to dentistry. Like if you have teeth, Mm -hmm. you should probably go to a dentist every now and again. Like if you can afford it. That's fair advice, yeah. Right? Like if you can't, you might not die, but much more beneficial if you can. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel about coaching is if you have a brain, the brain tends towards negativity, the brain tends towards judgment, the brain especially in today's world, tends towards worry and fear. And coaching helps you separate out, oh, 
that's just a thought. Mm-hmm. And it might even sound like a great thought. For example, I just want to be a good mom mm-hmm. is a thought a lot yep. of my clients have. Sounds like a nice thought, right? Sounds great. Yeah. But if that thought causes you to feel guilty and ashamed and notice all the ways that you're falling short, then it's not a useful thought. And so we just take thoughts and we question them. We just examine them. We just notice that they are just thoughts. And we take a look at, is this driving me to be more who I want to be? More loving, more kind? And and being more of the person we want to be, who is someone that's more Mm Christ-like, actually doesn't come from guilt and shame and self-loathing. It comes from um, lightness and love and compassion and curiosity. And so we just take thoughts in certain areas of our lives and we examine them and we just let go of ones that aren't serving us. So this is going to be a question that to maybe makes you open up a little bit more, maybe okay. be a little vulnerable and go here. You talked about self-sabotaging and that sort of yeah. stuck out in my mind. What was a thing, like can we talk about an actual either thought or experience that you had that you had to question that thought and then found your way through? Yeah. So I was really uh, disconnecting in my marriage and in my family at mean? this point. Yeah, what do you mean? Um, just n- not very intimate conversations with my husband. Very like surface how are you? level. Good. Kids are fine. Yeah, that like are you? He would say, "Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine." <laughs> you know, just kind of like keeping him at a distance. Mm-hmm. And um, because I was just so unhappy with myself and full of judgment for myself, mm-hmm. and he didn't, he wanted to help me, but he couldn't. And, um, and at one point I remember, um, I was going to be going out of town for the, for a few days for work. And I remember thinking, I'm not even going to miss my husband. I'm going to, I'm kind of, or my kids, not just my husband, my family. I'm not even going to miss them. I'm going to be kind of glad to have a break from them. And then I felt so guilty. That's so terrible. Mm -hmm. I should miss them. I should be sad that I'm leaving them. So a situation like that, we take a look at. And through coaching, I realized I should miss them is just a thought. I'm not going to miss them is just a thought. Mm-hmm. These are all just thoughts. These aren't facts. These aren't truths. They're all just sentences in the brain that the brain is offering me. And um, to show up better as the kind of mother, wife, woman I want to be in the world, we have to at times choose our thoughts more consciously. And so the first step for me was to give myself permission to not miss them. Hmm. Like maybe not missing them doesn't make me a terrible wife, terrible mom, terrible person. Maybe, just maybe, it's natural and normal to want a break. And and from there, ironically enough, you can come around and reconnect with those people. But um, so that that's one situation that comes to my mind where I realized, okay, this thought that sounds so good and righteous isn't really serving me. Let's press pause and I want to dial it back even further. Give me an idea where you're from and and uh, like the inter- intersection with you and the church. Are you a yeah. convert, a lifetime member? Yeah, I was born and raised in the church, lifetime member, um, have always been active and didn't really question my faith ever until that point at which I just started questioning everything, myself, you know, my life, um, and so a little bit my faith. But to me, it wasn't a huge faith crisis, but it was like, uh, is God disappointed in me? Interesting. Yeah. And I I had a mother that was a stay-at-home mom. I have great parents, and so being so different from her and having different desires and different interests, 
you know, I always wanted to work outside the home. I had lots of ambitions. And so I just questioned myself and my worthiness with God and all of that. And, and coaching is what helped me see like, no, we are all just wired different. I think that's a thought that resonates probably more with women than with men. Mm -hmm. I think just because of how societal, you know, norms are created. The men go to work, right? And especially within the church, you know, up until even most recently, the last couple you know, years, 20 years, maybe it was the women should stay at home if at all possible. And now we, we've sort of changed that narrative when you're seeking out to, to really get that, um, like assurance from God. Mm -hmm. I know your journey will be different than anyone else's because you're different than anyone else. But what, what did that look and sound like for you as you're kind of questioning that out? Well, what I've come to realize, and I, I can't like pinpoint a moment when I realized this, I think it's been a, a gradual, yeah, yeah. a gradual awareness, which I've also, you know, learned from so many other people. Jennifer Finlayson Fife has been really instrumental in mm -hmm. teaching me a lot of things and just a lot of other influential members of our church. But I think that um, to live in this sort of really dictated one size fits all way that we're sometimes taught as youth and as kids is a spiritual immaturity, right? To say like um, women should be at home if possible and the man should go to work if possible. That's the way I would always understood it and was taught. And as, as I realized, I want to go to work. I don't even have to go to work. My husband can support us, mm -hmm. but I just want to go to work. What's the matter with me? Right. Um, is a, a spiritual immaturity, right? It's a reliance on like one statement that was said in one talk to a mass of people. And what I had to learn to do personally was to connect with the Lord and to question my motives always and be open to what the Lord wants for me to do. But I came to realize he's given me skills and strengths and he wants me to use them for good in the world. Mm -hmm. And he wants me to enjoy my life. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a prescriptive. I don't think our church leaders ever try to give us prescriptive direction, but it's right. hard to lead a church, an international, you know, church of our size. So I think it requires a level of spiritual maturity to get still and connect with the spirit and, and discern what's right for, for me at this time. And I will say too, that, you know, I wrote about this in my book, your better, book, than, better happy, than happy. Oh, is that, is that available for, for purchase? That if people, I might plug my book. Yeah, yes. That people could find a, a direct link in the show notes we could for put this a link episode. Right yes. in the show notes. Yes. Um, but I had this moment when I, I really paused and questioned should I be working right now? This hmm. seems hard on my kids, hard on me sometimes even. And I just felt this answer from the Lord like, what you're doing right now is good. And what I loved about the way I felt in that moment was this is good for now. Mm -hmm. And we're not making forever decisions about your life. We're not like, I didn't, I don't think I needed to decide right then. Am I always going to work or later? Am I going to stay home? And so I just love that we have access to the spirit and that as we change and evolve and our life changes and evolves, those answers might change yeah. as well. Yeah. Let's take a break real quick. When we come back in the second block, I want to talk more about how maybe some of that guilt and shame infiltrates within the church and how we can find ourselves very quickly trying to be perfect in a way that we can't actually be. We'll come back and hit that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. <laughs> 
Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, if you are not yet a Patreon saint, encourage you to do so. Head over to Patreon.com forward slash The Cultural Hall. It's an opportunity for you to be a part of the almost 100 Patreon saints uh, who help fund what we do. Uh, it also gets you to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group where you can see what's going on. We have tangential conversations. Why, our very own uh, producer of this particular episode, yeah, Kurt me. Frankham. Hello, I'm over here. <laughs> he won't give me a mic. Yeah, he also is uh, a member of the uh, Patreon group. So check it out, patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. So it, it is no surprise to anyone uh, that there are feelings of guilt and shame within organized religion in general, but specifically within the LDS church, that can occur a lot. And, and that I think resonates some of what you were saying earlier about, you know, feeling either the shame or the guilt about being mom stuff, but there's just life. We can find ourselves into shame and guilt. Being able to coach and look at those thoughts that find our way out of it how does that intersect with, with those religious principles? Because sometimes we think, okay, well, life, okay, those things I can let go, but these are, these are God-given principles. I can't just question those and let them go. I need to feel guilt. I have to feel shame in order to change. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, let me state that I'm not trying to teach people that we should feel good all the time. That's why the book is called Better Than Happy, because it is about understanding that we're the creator of our emotions, and people then take the leap that, so then I might as well always create good ones. Hmm. And I, I don't think that creates our best life. I think, again, our, our religious values and principles teach us that. Like, it might be more fun to go boating on Sunday than to um, get on my church clothes and go to church. But I do think in the long run, that creates a better life for me, um, choosing to observe the Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. um, and so with that, guilt and shame are interesting emotions. And, you know, you can argue either way whether or not they're useful. There is uh, research nowadays that says that shame is actually not useful. It's very toxic. It leads to addiction, depression, eating disorders, um, all kinds of problems, we would say. Shame is something's wrong with me, mm -hmm. right? Whereas guilt can be useful at times. Again, this is according to the, the research and the experts in the field of psychology. Guilt is an indicator, oh, I'm not in line with my values. I'm not living the way I believe that I should or want to live. So it's sort of like a, a signal. Mm -hmm. And so that signal is useful for us, right? It's only sociopaths, psychopaths that don't have that signal. Um, the problem is that most of us write it out far longer than necessary, and then it becomes shame, hmm. I think, in my experience anyway with coaching people. So, for example, if I um, steal something from Target. Oh, how dare you. <laughs> like I what just you throw anything, it in the bottom any, of my cart. Anything good? And no one notices. No. <laughs> I'm sure I have. It was a Christmas if, something, I'm if sure. If nothing else, <laughs> accidentally, I'm sure I have. 
Um, so if I steal something and I feel guilt, it's just an indicator. Okay, there's something going on here that doesn't line up with who I want to be. Or I like to define it as two conflicting values. So I value this thing that I really wanted and I value being honest, mm-hmm. let's just say. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a decision for me to make about, do I want to make a change? Do I want to course correct? There are times when we feel guilt because we have two conflicting values that are both things we want to keep. For example, if I feel guilty because I went to the gym, but my kids wanted me to stay home, or I remember when my kids were little, they hated going to the kids club at the gym, right? (laughs) I'd be like, you play here and I go to my class and they hated it. So I would feel guilty because my kids were unhappy. Mm -hmm. So I have two conflicting values again. I value taking care of myself, exercise, doing something for me. And I value trying to make my kids happy and take care of them. Mm -hmm. Those are both values that I want to keep. Right. So now it's just a decision, right? In the end about sometimes... I make sacrifices on their behalf and sometimes I'm going to ask them to make sacrifices on my behalf. Thanks guilt. I got the message. I'm done with you now, Uh but it's that second part of just dismissing it. That's challenging for people. And I think that's true even with moral issues, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm um, engaged in something that is immoral, guilt is an indicator to me that I'm off course and now I want to course correct. But if I ride that guilt into shame, I'm actually much less likely to course correct. Shame says, hide, don't let anyone know, play small. Hmm. That's not how we get back on track usually. So so then um, as you're talking and kind of coaching, uh, you know, all of us to understand the difference between the two of them, I think, man, this would be a valuable resource for those who counsel with, you know, members of the church speaking specifically really of like bishops or stake presidents, whereas they aren't necessarily trained in that way. Do you think that there would be value in some level of like training and life coaching for those that are ecclesiastical leaders? Oh, yeah. I wish they could all go through coach training for their benefit sure. just because I feel like they have such a heavy load. Mm-hmm. Kurt and I have talked about this before, right? Like we should train them all to be life coaches. Um, and you know, I, I do try to think about, because I, I, sometimes I've coached individuals who are working with a bishop or plan to go uh, counsel with a bishop. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would assume when you're talking about that, it's like for um, some transgression or something, yeah. be able to walk through something, not like, I've got tithing settlement, would you walk that, me through no, the No, that's bishop? right. Yeah, 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 yeah. something yeah. a little heavier. Yeah, than um, tithing settlement. Yeah, Thank usually you. they don't need coaching on tithing settlement. Well, I don't tithing know. Some, <laughs> some years, it can be pretty intense. <laughs> can. I, I meant to pay. <laughs> Um, but again, one of the thoughts I offer to my clients is remember your bishop is there to offer you spiritual guidance Mm -hmm. and rely on him for that and ask him for spiritual guidance. But a bishop technically is not a counselor or even a coach. And, and while I think they do an amazing job, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not, I don't know. I don't think it's in the handbook, right? Like how to, how to count the coach or counsel someone on their life experiences. Um, and so, yeah, definitely. I mean, I have a lot of bishops that listen to my podcast and I get clients that tell me my bishop told me, listen to this particular episode. And I, I think there's a lot of helpful tools in there. When, when we talk about involving the spirit and kind of helping guide our lives, there would be some that would say, well, what you're essentially doing is taking life and the life choices away from following any sort of guidance from a higher being in a, in a general religious sense or, you know, the Holy Ghost as we would define it within the, the Latter-day Saint faith. W- what do you say about that? 
Yeah, such a good question. So there is times to seek advice and counsel from outside of us, right? Mm -hmm. But there are times to seek advice and counsel from within. And that is where coaching comes in is I'm trying to help people go within. In fact, I don't give people advice about what to do. Mm-hmm. Very rarely. I'm not supposed to as a coach anyway. Well, and most counselors I don't think do. No, really. right. Like psychiatrists, right. they just sort of walk you through it and then reflect back what you sort of say to them. That's right. Yeah. And so the goal is to help you get in touch with what's happening internally, right? In terms of how do you feel when you think that? What's going to guide you? What's your motive here? And so sometimes back to the question you asked me, Richie, is people will say, well, shouldn't I be getting that answer from the Lord? Hmm. And I say, yeah, but how does the, have you ever gotten a text message from the Lord or an email? Because I haven't, Mm -hmm. and not that it couldn't happen, but my answers from the Spirit happen internally. So when I say to clients, I'm trying to help you go internal for your own wisdom and access it, what I mean is that that includes the spirit. The Mm. spirit speaks to us internally through our thoughts, through our emotions, but we have to sort of clear away the fear and the worry and the guilt and the, all the nonsense on top of it, I think to be able to hear and access the spirit. How exhausting is it to kind of clear all that out? Cause like I think of what you're saying and just in a practical application for myself. And I think, man, if I actually did what she's saying, that would be so exhausting. Not that it's not necessary, not that I wouldn't benefit from it, because yeah. both of those things are true. But that just seems like we are bred, as you mentioned, you know, naturally to go negatively, to mm-hmm. to think about all the shameful things and the guilt-ridden things. And, and that's only some of the equation, you know, to, to be able to actually go through it. Like, that sounds exhausting. Yeah, it sounds exhausting, but here's why it's actually the opposite. I would okay. say it's very energizing. Okay. Because uh, in 99% of our lives, we can just operate on default status and not think about it. Just let the brain do what the brain does. But what we do in coaching is we take a 1%. We take a little piece of your life. And and sometimes for my clients, it's a big challenge or problem they're going through. And sometimes it's a little thing. Honestly, a little thing like I can't keep up on the house or, you know, or this person kind of gets on my nerves or Mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, But we take that little 1% thing and we use it to rewire a pattern in your brain. And then your brain shows up in every area of your life. This is why they say the way you do something is the way you do everything Mm -hmm. or however that goes. I'll take that. (laughs) Sounds better than that. Um, But so we just, we don't have to do it all the time. You don't have to walk around consciously choosing your thoughts all day. I I could never do that. But I'll take a little area of my life where I notice I'm not showing up the way I want or I'm not feeling the way I want or I'm not getting the result I want. And we just go in and take a look at the brain and we tweak it a little bit and it has a ripple effect on every area of your life. So it's actually really energizing to do it um, because you feel such relief and you Mm -hmm. feel so much more empowered in your life. So, so then walk that out for me a little bit where you mentioned as you're kind of getting into this, that there wasn't necessarily a faith crisis. You've always believed you always have sort of gone after it, but there has been some clarity that's come, uh, as you've gone through this process and now help others through it. Like what, you want an example? Yeah. Like if there are either profound truths or like help where you've, because you have kind of cleared some of that inner stuff Mm -hmm. that you can now, with greater testimony or greater, greater fervor, be able to be like, yeah, this thing or. Yes. Okay. So one of my favorite examples is, um, I have a son, he's now 15 years old, but from the time he was a baby, 
he is wired so differently from myself that mm-hmm. I had a really hard time understanding him. Give me an idea what you mean. Um, so I used to describe him as really negative. Okay. <laughs> and I would say he, so as a really young child, it was fear. You know, he was a fussy baby, uh-huh. but then he was always afraid. Um, and then as he got a little older, it was just complaining about everything. Um, very introverted and shy and easily overwhelmed. And so things like, hey, we're going to go see a movie. He was like so upset about and just, you know, I, ke- I kept telling him, listen, you got to choose to be happy and you got to choose to be positive mm-hmm. or life's going to be really hard. Yeah. Like these aren't even hard yeah. things. A movie will be something you'll do lots of times maybe <laughs> yeah. in your life. Like yeah. th- this isn't torture. Yeah. And I just kept, I had this thought over and over again. He's so negative. He's so unhappy. He's so grumpy. And um, it was actually in coach training that I got coached on this. And um, what Brooke Castillo, my coach, pointed out, she said, you're, you're very negative about your negative son. Hmm. And I was like, well, it's not just that he's negative. He's also afraid. He's, always, he's afraid I'm not going to pick him up from school. And I'm constantly trying to tell him, I promise I'm going to be there. You don't have to be scared. And she said to me, well, he wants to be afraid right now. Maybe he needs to be afraid. Hmm. And I was just like, what? What are you talking about? But I, she was like, what if you weren't so negative about your negative son? What if you just chose to allow him to feel however he chooses to feel and you choose how you want to feel? You, If you want to be light and happy and excited to go to the movies, great, do it. But stop waiting for him. Again, he was like, you know, six or something at the time. Stop waiting for him to feel better so that you can feel better. And so I remember just practicing it. I remember being in the kitchen and he's over there grumpy. And I was just like, he's going to be grumpy and I'm not going to be grumpy that he's grumpy. What? Mm -hmm. It's, and so you just try it on. It feels strange at first. Mm -hmm. You just give yourself permission to be happy anyway. And the most ironic thing happens when you stop trying to talk a child out of their emotions. Do you know what happens? They just work through them on their own. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, years later, my, I would say to my husband, Isaac's so much more positive now. And he was like, he's exactly the same. He's always <laughs> been fine. You're much more positive about Isaac now. Wow. And so that is just one example of how I learned. That's why it's so energizing when I learned like, wait a second, I don't have to control how they all feel. I don't have to fix how they all feel. I don't have to be angry about how they're feeling. I can just feel how I want to feel and give people space and permission to feel how they want to feel. It's so freeing. And I do think this is, again, you know, how the Savior lived. Like he loved people as they are. Yes, he offered things to them. He taught them, but he's not mad at them. He's not waiting around for them to change before he chooses who he's going to be. And we will never be as perfect as the Savior at doing it. But that is our work to try to let go of trying to control everyone else control instead how we want to feel. It's an interesting application that you went to the Savior and talked about that, because as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, like God does with us, right? That he's just like, well, I love you. And if you want to be like that for a little bit, you can be like that and you'll figure it out. But that I'm still here and, and still waiting and and uh, and allows you to feel all those those feelings. That's, yeah, yeah. that's profound. I like that. Let's take another break. Uh, when we come back in the third block, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. And we'll talk more about the book Better Than Happy with Jody Moore. That's coming back in the third block of the cultural hall. Hey, friends. Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. And as you know, there's been this humongous video card shortage. In fact, there's been a huge electronic component shortage. 
but no need to worry. At PC Laptops, we just got in shiploads of NVIDIA and AMD video cards. We have them in stock right now, and they're available with all new PC Laptops desktop computer systems. All of our desktops are backed with a lifetime parts and labor warranty. That means if your video card blows up in 10 years, you're covered 100%. Now you can get our cutting edge PCs for as low as $29 a month. And we also have 12 month special financing. Hurry into PC laptops right now and grab a desktop computer with an NVIDIA or AMD video card. Because at PC laptops, we really love you. PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the cultural hall, remember there is the cultural hall back row available for all of you who do not want to spend money on the Patreon group. Over 230 members strong there. Would love to have you join. All you have to do is search that out on Facebook and join more tangential conversation than you can shake a stick at. If we were going to come up with a slogan, that would be it. Jody, let me ask you, um, as you've had this journey uh, of kind of life coaching and people come to you, I would assume in in some instances, some of the most dire places in their life or searching for answers. And it's not that you are some sort of grand poobah that allows answers, but you, you, you provide at least skills, tools to be able to do that. What's that weight and responsibility like for you, knowing that people come to you like that? Well... I don't think of it that way because I think that would be a huge weight. Um, I think of myself as a mirror. Okay. Honestly, um, my job is to show people themselves and because they've come to me voluntarily and even are paying me money to do that, I have permission now to tell them the truth of what I see. Um, in my personal life, I don't have permission to tell everyone the truth. My sister and I were just talking about this, about like, aren't we all lying a little bit? Because mm. if we weren't, it wouldn't be very kind. Right. Right. Again, with our, t- our tendency towards negativity, judgment and all that. So when um, a client comes to me, I'm telling them the truth from a neutral space. In other words, my opinions, my judgment, my th- own life experience, my thoughts about what they should do are really irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And um, even, you know, when we hear neutral or or lack of judgment, I think we tend to think lack of criticism, but it's also a lack of being a cheerleader. Hmm. Um, I'm not there to go, yeah, you're right. Um, He's wrong. When someone tells me a story, for example, about a relationship issue, as a coach, I'm trained to listen to that story a little differently. And I I love everyone in the story Hmm. is my goal. So client comes on starts telling me about her mother-in-law who judges her immediately I love that I love my client and I love her mother-in-law and I can see the lovability in everybody Mm. and then I reflect that back to them as a mirror and I just show them when you think this you feel this and I show them by asking them questions so they're really showing me that I'm reflecting it back to them Mm. and so what they do with that is really none of my business um And so to me, it doesn't feel like a heavy load. I'm just showing my clients themselves. And I I will say that it it really is not about me. It's I have a tool that I use. Mm -hmm. And then um, my clients and the spirit and whoever else is more powerful than me does the real work. Because they come back to me all the time telling me about these transformations they've had that I guarantee I was no part of. (laughs) I'm like, I have no idea that that was where that was going to take you. So it's really not about me. Good. 
I like that. <laughs> because because I think it would be easy in a situation like yours to be like, oh, yeah, we see that guy or girl. Yeah, help them to be where they are. And, and I, 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 I like that perspective a lot. Um, I, w- I would also, to ask you, do you find a lot of people because of what you do professionally? My wife experiences this because she's a nutritionist. Whenever there's anything about nutrition, people always go, oh, I'll ask old smarty pants about that. Do you get a lot of like, settle an argument for us? Or what would you do in that kind <laughs> of, you know, maybe they're not even really being serious about it, but they just sort of come to you with. I think like jokingly people make comments like that. Mm-hmm. Um I don't tend to get a lot of, you know, I think about some of the people I go to church with, like the dermatologist. I'm like, can you just look at this thing on my daughter's arm and see if I should take her in? Like a little sidebar. Um, I I don't tend to get a lot of that. I think that people are sometimes that when they don't understand it or if they don't know me, Mm -hmm. they're kind of nervous. They'll say like, do you listen to everyone and see their problems and see their thoughts? And I tell them no. And as soon as you spend five minutes with me, you see that I'm just as much a mess as anyone else. Mm -hmm. And I think it relaxes everyone. Oh, good. She's messy. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's, it's different when I'm coaching. It's like a different part of my brain. I'm listening for totally different things than when I'm just having a conversation with somebody. What about like uh, in your like kid relationships or your, you know, with your spouse? Do you sometimes get that? I don't need life coach, Jody. I need yes. my partner. <laughs> I need my mom. Yes, but the truth <laughs> is if from my kids, I get that only because they don't know what coaching really is. Uh-huh. They, they don't listen to my coaching calls. Uh-huh. And so um, they will say, in fact, I have a, a videographer, Matt Kerr, who I work with, and he's great. He was at the house filming some B-roll footage of my kids, and he said to my daughter, How's it, how is it to have a mom who's a life coach? And she, you know, in her teenage sarcasm said, it's terrible. She's always trying to give me advice and tell me what to do and, to, you know, make me feel better. And he said, oh, I got news for you. That's not called being a life coach. That's called being a mom. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that um, the coaching tools really – inform the way I think about the world. And so that does inform who I am as a mother or as a wife. Um, So instead of saying to my kids, um, I'm so sorry that boy hurt your feelings, Mm -hmm. because I happen to believe that we create our own feelings and I don't like attributing them to some random boy at school that we can't control. control. So instead of saying that, it changes my language. I will say, I'm so sorry that you're hurt. That sounds hard. Mm-hmm. So it's little subtle changes like that, but I don't really coach them. And do those little subtle things make a difference? I definitely think so. I mean, I, I hear my kids say things to each other that they've picked up in the background that I didn't sit down and like have a lesson and teach them. They say to each other, like, that's just a thought. Mm-hmm. Or they say it to me, especially like, that's just a thought, mom, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so, yeah, I think it definitely. Um, I'm just trying to give them a different perspective. Doesn't mean their lives are easier or better or that they're happier. It's just a little bit different perspective that I find to be more empowering. We touched on this a little bit earlier, uh, and I would be curious to just walk this out a little bit more. If someone is listening to this, and this is not a commercial, Jody is not paid to be here. It's not any sort of thing like that. But I think that this is and can be a tool for people that are really struggling, right? And this may not be for a lot of people, but there may be someone you've been listening to this and you go, yeah, 
man, this really could help. What do you find um, the people that come to you or come to a life coach, like where are they at? What what kind of scenario is it that you, you would say, yeah, maybe look into this and see if it would be right for you? Yeah, I would say there's probably three categories of people. So I get, first of all, people that just are drawn to all of this, like fascinated by human behavior, by how the brain works. I get a lot of people in that boat that just want to learn more, want to soak it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other two categories I would say are, number one, you might be stuck in a real challenge or problem. So if you're struggling in your marriage or it's something going on with one of your kids or right, so what we would call a trial, mm-hmm. um, there is a difference between needing a therapist and needing a coach. So think of a therapist more like my arm is broken. I need to go to the doctor. A coach is like, I would like to make my arm stronger mm. and um, not ultimately get sick if possible. So I need a, like a personal trainer. Right. Right. Good distinction. I appreciate that. Yeah. Too. But I do get people sometimes who have been through therapy and then that they're kind of at the end of the benefit they felt they could get from that or therapy just wasn't a good fit and the coaching resonates. So there's that. And then this, the third bucket I would say are people that have some kind of a goal or challenge that they're trying to pursue. Mm. And, um, it's really helpful to have someone looking at your brain as you pursue, you know, maybe building a business or, or writing a book or a health goal or a fitness goal. Um, it's all, um, the mind plays a huge role in all of that. So are there, uh, individuals or groups of individuals where you'd be like, nah, don't, don't pursue something like this. Um, I mean, I don't think that I'm the right coach for everyone or that my program is for everyone because you just may not care for my style. You may not, there's many different styles of coaching, but I do think everyone could benefit from coaching. I mean, the only, again, if there's a, a serious um, mental illness mm-hmm. or dysfunction, then that requires clinical work from a therapist. But otherwise, I always say anyone with a brain should have a coach. Does anything like uh, becoming a psychologist or a psychiatrist, does that interest you? Or are you like, leave the medicine to the medicine workers, I'll stay in this lane? Yeah, I have so much respect for people that do that work because they are hearing heavy, serious challenges all day. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I could keep my head in a space that I want to to feel happy listening to that. So I just have so much respect and appreciation for people that do that. It's not my lane. You have the book, Better Than Happy, which we've mentioned, and again, available on a link that's provided for you in the show notes so people can purchase it We're there. We're at Amazon. Shortcut. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll use an Amazon <laughs> link on our show notes that goes. There we'll, you go. We'll make sure people get it. <laughs> Listen, it'll be very easy if people want to get it. You also have a podcast. Let's talk about that for a quick second. Uh, weekly? Monthly? What yeah. do we do on that? Um, every week for over six years now. (laughs) Congratulations. Thanks. I only know that because my daughter just turned six and I was pregnant with her when I started the podcast. Yeah. So um, that has been a really powerful way for me to get some of these tools into people's hands. Mm -hmm. So if people don't want to buy the book, don't want to pay money, go listen to the podcast. It's a great place to start out to learn more about what we're talking about here and to see if it feels like it rings true. 
And yeah, it's been really a fun journey. And it's called Better Than Happy? It's called Better Than Happy. So it's like, like a branding book. thing? Is it's, that what's going on here? There's a theme we, here. Yeah. <laughs> or, do, would we find you on social medias at Better Than Happy? I'm, actually, no. Oh. I dropped the ball on that <laughs> one. <laughs> um, I'm just under Jody Moore Coaching on social media. And that's two yeah. O's and an E at the end of Jody Moore. Uh, let me ask you these three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? I do have a calling. I teach Relief Society, which is my favorite calling. Are you a once a monther or are you the only teacher or how, how often? It feels like only twice a year, but I think it's a little more than that. Yeah, nowadays. So about every other month. Treats? Do you do object lessons? I, Give me an idea what we're talking about. Here, I just Jody. taught on Sunday and I said, listen, I thought back to all the Relief Society lessons of which ones really made it most impact in my life. And mm-hmm. they were always the ones that had chocolate. So I always bring chocolate. Oh, yeah. nice. Smart. <laughs> if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Oh, make one up. Let's go there for a minute. Okay. I mean, like I would want to be a mental health c- counselor for members of the ward but that's not a thing although we do have LDS social services I guess uh, which is a job not a calling Um, but I do love coaching and I I will say being a really study teacher I have to um, really monitor myself to stick to the scriptures and not bring in uh, what I know about human behavior unless it's really appropriate so I would love to be able to do something like that in a church setting. Can I ask you some questions about that? Sure. Why not bring it in? I've oftentimes thought in, thought in elders quorum. Now, granted, you wouldn't want to be like, and now we're going to do a life coach lesson. Right. But I have oftentimes thought, you know what, this this principle is great. And if we keep this rooted in the scriptures, there are lots of other resources and ways that we could do this. And even if the only reason people are paying attention is because it's different than the same lesson that we had four years ago or eight years ago as we go on this kind of cycle, yeah. like I think that would be a difference and people would pay attention. Why, why can't we bring do, some of that in? I do definitely bring it in. I can't help myself yeah. because it's the same. Because at church, we're trying to monitor ourselves mm-hmm. as human beings and become better. And it isn't different. In fact, that's what the entire book does is it goes, uh, each chapter is based on a gospel principle Mm. that connects the dots between human behavior and the gospel principles. Um, It's just easy for me to get off on a tangent (laughs) about that stuff. And I'm like, let's let the sisters in the ward discuss instead of me teach so much. Yeah. Let's let the spirit guide (laughs) a little bit more. Come on in here, spirit. Uh, The final question that we ask everyone and ask that you interpret it however you may. uh, But the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith is um, the understanding that we have of, and it goes by many names, but I'll just call it the plan of salvation. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, I love the... um, really, really high in the sky view that gives us of this life and Mm -hmm. how this life is just a tiny little moment. Because I think that to my brain anyway, and to most of my clients' brains, everything feels so heavy and important. Um, Everything happening right now, any problem I have right now feels so Mm -hmm. all-encompassing. If you look back, you know, on if I look back on the problems I had when I was in high school, I realized those weren't a big deal. And I think that as we get a more eternal perspective, none of it actually is a big deal at all. And I love that because it allows me to go all in on just living my life, on trying things, on being willing to fail, on being willing to have people judge me or for me to get things wrong. And 
I just want to show up in my life. And I feel like this is it. This is my chance on earth. I want to get everything I can out of it. And in the end, it's just a tiny little blink. So I, I just love that. Yeah. Well said. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Brother Brent, and Chocolate Cake Bites podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.